everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and today we are going to be talking about the best players of the 2010s. We are now in 2020. I hope everybody's new year is off to a great start. I wish you all nothing but happiness and prosperity from now, uh, you know what, from now until forever. How about that? But today we're not going to be talking about you or me. We are going to be talking about the greatest players who to lace them up over the past 10 years. And I'm not going to beat around the bush. I mean, I will admit that we have seen a drastic shift in how basketball is played compared to the 90s, the 2000s. Now we are deep in the pace and space era. There is a irrational launch of threes. If I do, if I would, if I were to describe it that way, not that it's a bad thing, but it's very different. It's very different. I mean, we have kids growing up who all they want to do is shoot. And, you know, can we begrudge them? I I don't see I don't see how we can because that's all they know. You know, people that are a little bit older, the millennials, Gen X, whatever, you know, we kind of lived through like Kobe, AI, Jason Kidd, Vince Carter, you know, guys who made an impact on the game without shooting many threes or shooting many threes at a high rate it's just the game is different now and i'm not saying it's better i'm not saying it's worse i myself i love the nba i love how entertaining it is i love the influx of talent that we've seen over the last decade or so and how every team has somebody to watch but i think i'm going to skip over that all of that and just dive right into it the best player over the last 10 years, and I think this is a surprise to nobody, is none other than LeBron James. His resume speaks for itself. Since 2010, or since the 2010-11 season, this man has gone on to win three titles, was the finals MVP in all of them. He's also a three-time regular season MVP, 10-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA, nine of which were the first team, and he averaged about 27, 8, and 8 for a decade. Now, there really isn't much I can say on LeBron that hasn't been said already. Fantastic basketball player, and I don't think the adjective fantastic does him justice. He's arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. Just this unique blend of size, athleticism, skill. We don't get it that often. He's a generational talent. I definitely don't think we will see another one, much like we won't see another Michael Jordan or another Kareem. And he rightfully earned this honor to be the best player of the 2010s. I mean, everything he's done, living up to the hype that was set for him back when he was coming out of high school. But I think what impresses me most about LeBron is how he's shifted the perception of him. You know, when he left Cleveland, he did so in a way that was kind of sour to a lot of people. He joined the Miami Heat, but he ultimately did so because of how we critique players. He wanted to win a championship, and the Miami Heat afforded him that opportunity. Teaming up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, two very good basketball players themselves, allowed James to compete with high-level guys or play alongside high-level guys, all-star caliber guys. And, you know, when you're repeatedly knocked out by the Boston Celtics, you know, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, all those guys have your number— you need those kinds of reinforcements. The Cavaliers teams of you know the late 2000s, they just didn't have it. 
and LeBron didn't want to waste his career withering away on a non-contender. And I can't blame him. So he goes to Miami, wins a couple of titles, comes back to Cleveland, and then wins another title in 2016. A huge moment for not only the Cleveland Cavaliers, not only for LeBron James and Kyrie and all those guys, but for the city of Cleveland as a whole, who up until that point hadn't won a professional title of any sort and I, I think it was five decades it was a long time it was a lengthy championship drought and doing so against the Golden State Warriors the best team of all time arguably going 73 and 9 Steph Curry Clay Thompson Draymond Green three all-stars one of which you know arguably or not arguably the best point guard in the game at the time, Draymond Green, the best defender at the time, Klay Thompson, an elite shooter. Doing so was just, it was so fascinating to watch. It was so compelling, the Cleveland Cavaliers as the underdog. And they came through. And LeBron got that championship monkey off his back, at least in regards to bringing one back to Cleveland, which is what he wanted to do when he originally left Miami. Now, the second, no, the first title of LeBron's, pardon me, came against Kevin Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, Kevin Durant is, even though I don't want to rank everybody on this list, I would put Kevin Durant right beneath LeBron, and those two guys are my one and two. Kevin Durant, much like LeBron, is a generational talent, somebody who we probably won't ever see again. There are not many seven-footers walking around who can shoot like guards, who can dribble like guards, who can defend at a high level like he can. Kevin Durant is a once-in-a-lifetime type player, much like LeBron is. And because of that, those two have earned the right to be the best players of the decade. Now, Kevin Durant, of course, has a resume much like LeBron's. Although... Kevin Durant only has two titles. He was the MVP in each of those finals runs. Won a regular season MVP back in 2014. Delivered one of the most gripping MVP acceptance speeches of all time. You know, mom, you the real MVP. Was a 10-time All-Star. A mainstay in the All-Star game. Making one every season for the decade. Landed on nine All-NBA teams. Six of which were first teams. And posted a glistening stat line of 27.7 points, 7.4 rebounds, and 4.4 assists. Now, many cast their ire upon Kevin Durant when he abandoned the Oklahoma City Thunder to join the Golden State Warriors. Now, I myself, I wasn't a fan of the move, but I understood why he did it. He did it the same reason LeBron James left Cleveland. He needed to compete for a title, and it was clear that the Oklahoma City Thunder were not in the position to do that. Him and Russell Westbrook were a fantastic duo. Tons of fun to watch. Spectacular basketball players, but they simply did not get it done. And it showed when the Golden State Warriors came back from 3-1 in 2016. It was because they were they were simply the better team. They won three straight games. I mean, maybe it was by a fluke, but it was impressive nevertheless. Now, do I agree with Kevin Durant joining an already loaded squad? I mean, I guess not, but who cares? It was his decision and let him do what he wants to do. 
Did it shift the balance of power in the NBA? It most certainly did. There is no denying that. However, Kevin Durant went there and he balled his ass off. He was phenomenal in the regular season, in the postseason. He went toe-to-toe with LeBron in those two finals and played as good, if not better, than he did. And this was LeBron who was playing arguably the best basketball of his life. You know, Kevin Durant coming down, nailing uh, momentum shifting threes in his face, all that. And his resume speaks for itself. The resume and the numbers for LeBron and for KD speak for themselves. Now, as we move into the backcourt, I'm going to focus on Steph Curry. And now, there are some people who may rank Stephen Curry higher than Kevin Durant. And I can't say I blame them. Although Kevin Durant has a fuller resume, better stats, Stephen Curry is a revolutionary. That's right. Steph is a revolutionary. He is the reason the this era plays how it does. You know, he's coming down court, pulling up from 35, dancing on guys, embarrassing embarrassing them because he's just that talented. And he was the first guy to embrace the three ball for what it really was. Him and the Warriors, I don't want to say just Steph, but the Warriors as a whole, they recognized how lethal the three-point shot could be. And Steph Curry just so happened to have a play style that thrived in the system they wanted to run. Golden State emphasized player and ball movement. Stephen Curry wasn't adamant about having the ball in his hand all the time because being the best player, it was going to find the ball was going to find its way back to him anyway, and he capitalized on it. His MVP campaigns were spectacular. The year he averaged what was it 30 points on like 67% true shooting or whatever, arguably the greatest offensive season of all time because up until that point there had never been anything like it before there was this undersized guard 6'3 190 pounds barely probably just going toe-to-toe with these big intimidating athletic wings and coming out on top I mean he beat LeBron three times in the finals that granted the teams were more talented you know the Warriors team was more talented but Steph was no slouch and some would argue that he should have won the finals MVP back in 2015. Andre Iguodala took home that honor for quote-unquote locking down LeBron, even though LeBron still put up a phenomenal stat line with no help around him. But Steph Curry, there really isn't much more that would justify his placement on the Mount Rushmore for the 2010s. Outside of his influence on the game, you know, he's got two regular season MVPs. He's been a six-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA first team, yada, yada, yada. Now, moving on from Steph, I have somebody who whose placement may ruffle some feathers, and I understand. I understand why some people may feel that Kawhi Leonard doesn't deserve the fourth spot on this list. I appreciate their sentiments. I just do not agree with them. Now, Kawhi Leonard, unlike the other three guys on this list, doesn't have, you know, an abundance of all-star appearances. He doesn't have a surplus of times appearing on the All-NBA team. Granted, he didn't really rise into prominence until recently. He spent a lot of time developing under Greg Popovich, and then there was that one season where he missed a lot of time with a quad injury. Whatever. All of that, I get. And 
as a result, his numbers are kind of lacking. He's at less than 18 points for the decade, 6.3 rebounds, 2.4 assists. But why I felt Kawhi Leonard belonged on this list, because he has two titles. He has two finals MVPs, and the second of which holds a ton of weight in my assessment of him. So Kawhi Leonard is traded from the Spurs for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl because it just the situation with his quad was, I don't know if, if the Spurs even wanted to deal with it. And I, I wouldn't blame them because it was just such a mess. From the outside looking in, nothing made sense. Like there were medical reports that were contradicting one another. I just, I don't know. I didn't know what to make of it at the time. So the Spurs wanted to rid themselves of Kawhi Leonard. And I'm sure Kawhi Leonard didn't want much to do with the Spurs after how, just after how dysfunctional that whole situation seems. So he winds up in Toronto. Now Toronto, at least in comparison to San Antonio, is not the same. First of all, the climates are completely different. It is frigidly cold up there tons of snow not something that Kawhi Leonard is used to you know he's a Los Angeles boy played in Texas for a lot of his time but that wasn't I'm not sure that has anything to do with anything at this point the Raptors franchise did not or was not able to compete with the Spurs the Spurs were an elite franchise they are one of the preeminent teams in sports not just basketball in sports their prolonged consistency is something that no other team has rivaled except for maybe the New England Patriots and that is of course excluding these most recent seasons from both teams but the Spurs won five titles have won five titles under Popovich and from top to bottom they are just or a, they are a seemingly fantastic organization now on the other hand you have the Toronto Raptors who for most of the decade, we're either missing the playoffs or qualifying and getting beaten by LeBron James. The reason for that was DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry just were not getting it done in the postseason. It didn't happen. So Masai Ujiri made a move that he felt necessary. He traded not only his star player, but a fan favorite for Kawhi Leonard because championships reign supreme. Kawhi Leonard afforded the Raptors a better shot at winning a championship. And Ujiri's gamble paid off. Kawhi comes to Toronto. They load manage him throughout the season to preserve his legs. Postseason comes around, and this man plays like he is the Terminator. He looked like Michael Jordan. There was no shot that he could miss. Threes, mid-range, in the restricted area, in the post, in the pick-and-roll, in isolation, in transition, spotting up, it did not matter. This man was on a mission. He wanted to win another title, and his play reflected it. Every game was phenomenal. You know, starting with his game-winning shot against the or his series clinching shot, excuse me, against the Philadelphia 76ers, all the way through the finals against the Golden State Warriors, where him and the Raptors, the underdog, took down the monolith that was Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green. Granted, the various injuries to the Warriors did not help. They were without Kevin Durant before they were without Kevin Durant 
because of his calf strain, which ultimately and unfortunately culminated in him rupturing his Achilles tendon. Clay Thompson tore his ACL toward the end of the series. But even so, the Warriors had a solid team. And one could have bet on them and felt that they were making the right decision. Kawhi Leonard said otherwise. He won a title. And the city of Toronto, I'm sure, is forever indebted to him for it. And even though he decided to join the Los Angeles Clippers, I'm not sure there's any bad blood there because he took the Raptors and elevated them to a level that, quite frankly, not many of them thought they would reach. Their upsets in previous seasons were heartbreaking for a lot of the people that were involved. And I understand. I understand why some people... Hold on, where am I going with this? I don't even know. I understand why some people never expected them to reach the pinnacle of the sport because their track record. Ujiri saw that, acknowledged it, made the necessary steps, and Kawhi Leonard is now a hero, more or less. So the reason his selection is controversial is because many folks thought James Harden should have been the fourth best player of the decade, or not the fourth best, but one of the four bests. LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are pretty much universally agreed upon as the three best guys of the last decade. The fourth could have gone to either Kawhi Leonard or James Harden, and the reason that James Harden, some people perceive him as being snubbed is because statistically he was much more dynamic than Kawhi Leonard. For the decade, Harden averaged about 26 points to Kawhi's 18, averaged 6.7 assists to Leonard's 2.4, and he's won regular season MVP, was a sixth man of the year in 2012, was a seven-time All-Star, was a five-time member of the All-NBA first team. All the signs point to James Harden being in Kawhi Leonard's shoes, and I get it. I'm a big fan of James Harden. I enjoy watching him play, although I understand why some people think that his style of play is annoying because he's fishing for free throws, yada, yada, yada. It just doesn't look like basketball. I, I understand that. Do I agree with it? Not really, but whatever. The point remains, James Harden is undeniably one of the most talented players of the last 10 years. There are few guys who would have able to taken on his workload and succeeded and been as potent as he was. So this is a guy who, over the last few years, was up around 20 field goals a game, in excess of that. I don't have the exact numbers, but he was taking a lot of shots. He had the ball in his hands. Man, a lot of the time, I think like easily his usage rate was above 30 for the last three seasons, I think. Something like that. Don't quote me. But he was the main driver of the Houston Rockets offense. And if Steve Kerr and the Warriors were among the first franchises to embrace analytics, the Houston Rockets are right there. Daryl Morey, big into the numbers, big three is greater than two, big no mid-range because they're inefficient. The Rockets, though, are much more radical in their approach. And I'm not sure anybody is going to debate that. Whereas the Warriors offense had some flexibility over the last, I don't want to say decade, last five, six years or so. They had more ball movement. 
they prioritized threes and layups, but they wanted the best shot possible. The Rockets, they don't want none of that. They want threes. They want layups. More importantly, they want the ball in James Harden's hands because he's one of the best players in the league. He's an MVP caliber player. Might win the MVP this season. I don't know. It's possible, though, even though it's not pertinent to this episode. They want him to create as much of the offense as possible. And I can't blame them. Because if I had James Harden on my team, I would want the ball in his hands all the time. You want your best players to make plays. And Harden can do it for himself. He can do it in a variety of ways. He can create for others. He's a brilliant passer, even though he may be a little reckless at times. Brilliant passer. Reliable shooter. Great at taking people off the dribble. Knows how to use his body in space. He gets to the line. All this, but the one area where Harden falls short is that none of it seems to work in the postseason. So I'm just going to pull up his numbers real quick. And the lack of postseason success is, at least for me, why I have Kawhi Leonard above Harden. So I'm on basketball reference right now. Shout out to them. For his playoff career, James Harden shoots 41.9% from the floor. And 30% from three. 33% from three. Pardon me. Now, his scoring, 22.9. That, of course, includes his seasons with the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's been much higher over the past couple seasons. It's been anywhere between 26 and 32, which was last season. But although the scoring numbers remain the same, his efficiency is what hurts his team the most. And it's not even really his fault. Because the way the Rockets play, if you bottle up James Harden and take your chances with everybody else, you have a better chance of coming up victorious. And the Rockets really don't have a game plan outside of James Harden. See, when you were the, if you're the Warriors, or shoot, even if you were the Cavaliers when they had LeBron and Kyrie, there were other options. If you took away LeBron, Kyrie's going to carve you up for 30. If you took away Steph, Klay Thompson and Draymond would make the offense work. And when they had KD, forget about it. It would be, It's over. There was no way to defend the Warriors at all. But the Rockets, it's easy. It's In theory, it's easy. The execution, of course, is much harder. And the reason it doesn't work in the regular season is because the coaches have deeper teams or they like to go deeper in their rotation. When the playoffs roll around, it's win or go home. A coach is only using his six, seven, maybe their eighth best guys. Now, the Rockets have had quite the upsetting postseasons over the last couple of years. They got embarrassed by the Golden State Warriors last season, and they lost. I don't even know how they lost that series. They they had all the momentum. It Things were in their favor. It just didn't work. And then the year before, they unfortunately lost Chris Paul to injury, and that really mucked up their plans because that Rockets team looked like they could have not only gone to the finals, but beaten LeBron and the Cavaliers, and that would have just been phenomenal. But regardless, James Harden loses steam in the postseason because of, I don't want to say the lack of help, but the lack of a backup plan. If he's not working and they're relying on everyone else to create shots, the defense will take that. They will play 
four on four and just have someone deny Harden the ball. The Rocket, what pains me about the Rockets is that they've never adapted to it. And I'm sure James Harden has wanted to change things up a little bit. I'm sure Mike D'Antoni has, but Daryl Morey and the front office, if he's insisting that they keep this style of play, even though it's obviously not working, it's just, I don't see how you can conduct a franchise that way. So I'm penalizing, it seems like I'm penalizing James Harden because the because of the actions of the front office. I mean, yeah, maybe that's what I'm doing. But regardless, he hasn't shown up as often as people would like. And this is dating back not only against the Warriors, but in all of like his previous postseason appearances at the beginning of the decade. There have been more times than not where James Harden has been clutch in the postseason. I mean, he doesn't have a stretch like LeBron or Steph where it was memorable and it led to something. Like You could look back on the highlights and LeBron is making winning plays in the finals. And the Cavaliers at one point had a team that was kind of like the Rockets, although they weren't as set in their system as the Rockets were. But they were able to come out on top. And I wish James Harden had won a title, but even if he didn't, he's still one of the faces of the 2010s. This is a guy who people have compared to Kobe Bryant. You know, I'm sure if you spend any amount of time on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen the polls where people try to assess who's better, James Hart, Prime Harden or Prime Kobe. And this is also the same guy who might be the greatest offensive force of all time. Just strictly on the numbers, if not all time, amongst guards. I that is more believable than, you know, James being than James Harden being better than Prime Kobe Bryant, but James Harden is a scorer. He is one of the best scorers of the decade. Another guy who is kind of an innovator, I suppose, although it may be in the wrong way if you're trying to play team basketball, you know, the Rockets being so isolation heavy. But then again, maybe they're so isolation heavy because Harden thrives in in one-on-one scenarios. It's just how he is as a player. But again, not here to slander James Harden. I already said I think he's one of the best players of the last decade. He just doesn't. Be- he's just not on my Mount Rushmore, and because there's a common thread, all those guys they have titles. They have they've shown up on the biggest stages. These are these are just the facts. I'm sorry, that's what they are. But Harden is not alone in this. Strangely enough, the next guy on this list is an old teammate of his, and that is Russell Westbrook. Now, Russ and Harden might be the two most polarizing players of the decade because they are guys who go out, they put up incredible numbers, but they seemingly don't have anything to show for it. And it's either people love them or people hate them. And that seems to, and that's a trend with elite level athletes, but it's, it's to another level with these guys, especially Russ, because one of the reasons or how Russ endeared himself to the fan base was after Kevin Durant left, he went on a tear. That first season without Kevin Durant, Russ was a hurricane. He was a tornado. He was every kind of natural disaster rolled into one. He went 
into the opposing team's arenas and just beat them up. And he played with not a care in the world. He went out, played his game, did whatever the Thunder needed to win, and they made out quite well. He won an MVP. He landed on a whole bunch of all-star teams. He was arguably the best point guard, although I I still would have taken Steph if we're just being honest. But it's hard to it's hard to describe just how dynamic Russell Westbrook was. I mean, this is a guy who averaged a triple double, just the second player of all time to do so. The first of whom was Oscar Robertson, who not who many people just flat out never saw. I mean, their parents, maybe their grandparents, probably. I know my grandfather saw Robertson when he was in his prime, but and the game was just so different back then that there's really no way for us to even compare the two. So in a sense, Russell Westbrook is our Oscar Robertson, just far more athletic, um, far more vicious. He plays, he looks like a dog. Not No, not a dog, a wolf. He plays like a wolf. He's just out there trying to survive by any means necessary. If he has to, you know, it, kill or be killed when Russ is on the court. That's just how he is, and I admire that about him. He's somebody who, you know, sometimes basketball players will say that they don't have friends on the court. When Russell Westbrook says it, I believe it because this man, he plays with a look in his eyes that is, it's frightening at times. And I'm at home sitting on the couch, and I'm not on the court having to try to defend this guy. But that fire is why he's able to be so prolific. That's why he averaged a triple-double for three straight seasons. That's why he's able to win games when he's only shooting three of 19 because he's going to go out, you know, grab 18 rebounds, hand out 15 assists, come away with three steals. He's just, he's so dynamic. There's no other way for me to describe it. And it's a shame that him and the Thunder didn't have more success. I know they went to the finals back in 2012, but those, those guys were so young back then. And they had to go up against the Miami Heat. You know, LeBron, D-Wade, Bosh, all seasoned, much more experienced. It was an uphill battle for them. And I think that if they had made the finals when they were older, like if they had beaten Golden State in that one series and not blown a 3-1 lead, I think it would have been quite the entertaining showdown. Because as we know, KD, fantastic. Russ, just as fantastic, even though he's not, you know, the pinnacle of efficiency and he shoots what seems like 90% from three. He's just an all-around, he's a fantastic basketball player and more than worthy of being one of the six best players of the 2010s. The one thread up until this point, the one common thread between the six guys is that they're all recognizable, More impo- but more importantly, they're all associated with this era of basketball. Like if you're talking to anyone over the age of, I don't know, probably 18 and you ask them who like who represents the 2010s the most. It's going to be Steph, it's going to be LeBron, it's going to be James Harden, it's going to be guys like that because those guys have maintained their consistency for so long. You know, in LeBron's in LeBron and KD's case, 10 years. Steph, 6. James Six. Russ, six. You see, it's a common thread. And the differentiator 
is that some have pushed into the postseason and others haven't. Of course, that isn't necessarily an indictment on the on the player themselves, and I can't stress it enough. If they didn't win a title, it's not the player's fault. I'm not going to blame one player for not winning a title. However, if you're going to praise somebody for bringing their team to a certain spot, you also have to give them a little bit of blame if their team fails to exceed an expectation. When LeBron loses the finals, it you look at the numbers. Did LeBron play well? Okay. He averaged 37-7 and seven or whatever it was. How'd the rest of the team do? Conversely, if you look at the Warriors back when they had you know, the four-headed monster. Okay, but how much more talented were they than their opponent? It's a balancing act. You know, James Harden and Russell Westbrook aren't bad basketball players because they failed to win a final, but they're not as good as some of their contemporaries because even though they're talented, their talents haven't been maximized. It's a very it's very tricky when assessing and evaluating these players. And it's even trickier when comparing them because it's virtually impossible to compare, you know, someone like Steph Curry and LeBron James because throughout the years their roles have been so much more different. Especially like Steph Curry being compared to LeBron James and James Harden because LeBron and Harden are similar in how they've been used over the last couple of years than Steph is. Steph in the Warrior system is entirely different than LeBron in the Cavs system or James Harden in the Rocket system. It's just how it is. It's the philosophies of the two organizations. But enough bloviating about that. Um, I'm going to bring this to a close after talking about some of the guys who maybe are a little bit further out and not really arguable for a spot on Mount Rushmore. The first tier was the Mount Rushmore. James and Russ are on the outside looking in, but barely. A couple of the guys who are on who are way on the outside are Paul George and Chris Paul. Now, Chris Paul is a very fascinating case because he is undoubtedly one of the best point guards of all time. His resume says it. Nine-time All-Star. Three All-NBA first team. Averaged about eight and I'm going to round it up. No, averaged about 18 points. Pardon me. About four rebounds and nine and a half assists. So we'll bump that up to 10. Now, Chris Paul is... I'm trying to think of how I can say this. Chris Paul has always gotten the short end of the stick, it seems. when Early in his career, his teams just were not that great. And he was doing a lot, like... Chris Paul in his younger days was, he was breathtaking. I mean, even to this day, he still has flashes of those, you know, with some of the passes he makes. He's a brilliant passer. I'm not sure there is anyone in the league who at their prime was as good a playmaker as Chris Paul. Maybe, maybe LeBron, like, but those two, they have that sixth sense. You know what I'm talking about. The sixth sense where they're just able to complete these passes and find these passing lanes without even having to read the floor. It's just they have a remarkable feel for the feel for the game and they're seeing plays at a rate that nobody else is. But Chris Paul has landed in some not so advantageous situations. Like with the Rockets, 
He was relegated to working off the ball, shot a lot of threes when Harden was on the court in particular. But when Harden sat, that was Chris Paul's chance to take over. He could be the ball-dominant guard that he was younger, that he was earlier in his career. And that wasn't necessarily a detriment, but in the postseason, it didn't really it didn't really work. And some of it was Chris Paul being hurt. I mentioned earlier that they lost the Rockets lost him in that Western Conference final series against the Warriors. That was crushing. That was crushing. And someone like Chris Paul, it's like he deserves a shot at a title and he just he never gets it. It's very unfortunate, but that's one of the reasons why he's far on the outside looking in because much like Harden, but worse, his teams have never sniffed any bit of success. And some of it may be Chris Paul's fault. Some of it may may fall on the coach or the front office, but again, it's a balancing act. How much blame do you want to divvy up amongst the parties that are involved in a franchise? That really comes down to the person. I'm not someone who's going to penalize the player that much, but I'm going to penalize them enough as to where in a show like this where you have to put these players into tiers, it's going to be the difference between someone landing in one tier with being like one tier too low or one tier too high. Whatever. Those are my thoughts on Chris Paul. And then another guy who has risen to prominence over the last couple of years is Paul George. I think Paul George is fantastic. He plays both ends of the floor and does so at a high level. Now, his story in particular is it's quite the roller coaster ride. So he comes into the league with the Pacers, develops rather quickly, becomes a multiple-time All-Star, multiple-time All-NBA guy, wins most improved in 2013, but then has this just horrific leg injury practicing with Team USA and I think what was it the summer of 2014 I'm going to double check this but I think it was the summer of 2014 uh, yeah the summer of 2014 which limited him to only six games the following season 2014-15 season but since then Paul George has bounced back quite nicely you know this is a guy who is Averaging anywhere from 22 to 28 points a night. His career high coming last season with the Thunder. And, you know, elite defender has evolved into an, a capable playmaker, which wasn't something that he could do that great early in his career. Lights out shooter, one of the best shooters on the planet right now, both in terms of spot up and catch and shoot. And... Just his growth as a basketball player has been fantastic, especially when you take into account how he's bounced back from that horrific leg injury. Now, there are a couple of other guys that I want to just touch on, but I don't have any notes on someone like Dame or Giannis, but I just want to touch on them because there are a handful of guys who didn't qualify for this little ranking at all for various reasons. So when... At least what I saw on my TL was when this debate was first coming around, there wasn't a lot of mention of Kobe Bryant. There wasn't a lot of mention of Dwayne Wade. And I see I see why fans were outraged about that. But you got to remember that with D. Wade and Kobe in particular, they fell off 
quick. Well, Kobe fell off quicker than D-Wade, and it was because of the various injuries or the Achilles injury he suffered late in his career. He wasn't the same after that. But even then, he was he was close to retirement at that point, I believe. Because this is a guy who dominated the 2000s. One, undoubtedly one of the best players of the 2000s, that's for sure. Same with D-Wade. D-Wade's in that conversation, most definitely. But these guys, they just didn't... They, didn't come along at the right time. They had been out of their primes for a little bit. Like even though they were still putting up numbers, like Kobe was putting up 25, 26, 27 points tonight, it wasn't prime Kobe. It wasn't prime D Wade either. And the father time is undefeated and it shows. I'm not saying that they're deserving of the spot. I'm not saying they're undeserving of the spot, but when you're assessing players objectively, if a bunch of guys have prolonged periods of dominance, they're going to get the nod. And it's another reason why I didn't include someone like Giannis, for example, who's really come on strong these last couple of years, but it hasn't, it wasn't enough to unseat the guys who I had already picked. You know, I'm talking the six main guys. After that, everything is kind of, you know, it's whatever at that point. But Giannis is one of those guys who is going to own the 2020s. Him, you know, guys like Luca, Trey, Joel Embiid, if he stays healthy, Carl Towns, guys like that. If I were to do a show in 2030, those would be some of the guys that I would expect. Um, another person who I stumbled upon while doing my very limited research was Lamarcus Aldridge, and his numbers kind of impressed me. So he's a seven-time All Star. Is it seven? Yeah. Five-time All-NBA, I believe, for the decade. I'm going to double-check that just so I'm not... Just to double-check, I'm not wrong. Yep, five-time All-NBA. And I think LaMarcus might go down as one of the more underrated players in NBA history. I mean, this is a guy for pretty much the majority of his career has averaged between 18 and 24 points. And he very quietly these points mind you he was not he's far from the flashiest big you know he's someone who likes to play in the high post you know just turn around jump shots bank shots stuff like that just doesn't have a lot of flash a lot of entertainment value to his game but that doesn't make him a bad basketball player I mean he's someone who's definitely an honorable mention for top players of the decade uh his time with Portland fantastic excuse me the Spurs he's played very well um, I also want to give a shout out to Kyle Lowry, won a championship. I feel like if you win a championship as, I don't know, second best player, you deserve a shout out. Same reason why I'm going to shout out Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Um, I know that I'm probably missing a whole bunch of people, pardon me, but that's that's bound to happen when you're making any type of list. It's just how that format plays out but what are you gonna do so the final list my top tier the Mount Rushmore we have LeBron Kevin Durant Steph Curry and Kawhi Leonard on the right on the outside of the of Mount Rushmore is James Harden and Russell Westbrook and then honorable mentions as I rattled them off Paul George Chris Paul Kyle Lowry Clay Thompson Draymond Green uh, LaMarcus Aldridge Damian Lillard Giannis I guess Kobe D. Wade Nah, Kobe D-Wade, yeah, I'll shout him out. 
I'll shout him out just because. But that is going to bring an end to the first episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. I thank you all so much for listening if you made it all the way through. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Zach Cronin. There are, however, there are two underscores in my name, so I will leave a link somewhere so it's much easier for you guys to navigate. Um, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, whatever other service you listen on. If there's a, if there's a subscription button, click it. I will see you guys next week. Thank you.